0: Hey friends, this is the On To Something podcast. Today I'm bringing on a friend that I've been excited for her interview for a while and I would say she probably knows it because I've been emailing back and forth with her being like, please, please, please come on. Today we're talking with Allison East now in my heart she's always gonna be Allison Brown just because it rolls off the tongue but she recently just got married um, so now she is Allison East she is in a life stage right now that I would describe as settling down from just a hectic whirlwind of so many transitions back to back I want you to hear a little bit of her story I heard it a couple months back and I just was amazed at how many things that they've navigated and done and uh, I just thought a lot of her story and I wanted you to hear about it. I also think highly of her husband Mitch who maybe at some point we need to get on the podcast as well but he's actually played a part in my story of how I talk about my life and I also recorded this somewhat late with her so I accidentally told her that um, I've got this list of like top 10 most embarrassing moments in my life and like one of them happened at their wedding and for some reason I I released the information of telling her that uh, which I had zero plans to do so you can watch me uh, stick my foot in my mouth and I'm sure you'll enjoy that part of the podcast things I would describe with Allison's conversation she's extremely thoughtful I kept going back to that word time and time again I would recommend leaning in when she gets to what to wrestle with in the first third of life because I think she's on to some really good things in saying that. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy listening in to Allison and I's conversation today. Okay, if we were shooting for a word that described Allison East's life for the past two or three years, what would you reach for?
1: I would probably just say the word change. Um, I think that just really kind of encompasses really all the the phases that I have kind of walked through the past, you know, two years, three years, um, they've all just kind of been marked by something pretty significant changing, um, from graduating college to moving to another country, to starting grad school, to getting engaged, to getting married, to moving to a new city and a new church and a new job and another new job. And um, <laughs> so all of those things, you know, I think it's all kind of, yeah, they all have been big changes for me. So.
0: Yeah. If you needed to develop an argument for your case, for your word, I think just walking through those <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Did it, just kind of Yeah when we talked in Brownwood and you literally walked through step-by-step everything you and Mitch were, by the way, Mitch is her husband. We'll talk about him. (laughs) But you just walked through the roadmap in such a way that it was like, wow, yep, change that checks out for people who don't know you. Can you give like a two to three minute of, okay, this is what I've walked through for the past three years and kind of where I've landed now.
1: Yeah, Um, absolutely. I guess really, I feel like this season of my life Kind of started back in my senior year of college, um, really kind of looking out towards what was going to be ahead for me after leaving ACU. I came into college knowing I wanted to do something with writing. I was a journalism major all the way through, but I guess you know never really quite knew if that meant I was going to work at a magazine or work at a newspaper. Um, so my senior year, I started exploring some options of what that might be. And I never really felt super drawn towards like any particular company or news outlet or anything like that. And, um, and I had started dating Mitch that fall and, you know, didn't know where he was going to be. He was finishing up graduate school in the mm-hmm. graduate school of theology. And I was kind of coming to this point, you know, December, January of senior year, like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And the only thing I really did not know, I did not have yeah. any idea. I was, you know, the editor of the college newspaper and, and you, you know, were had- still in
0: Abilene. Right? I was still in
1: Abilene. Yeah. Editor okay. of the newspaper. I was, you know, pretty involved on campus and
0: was mm-hmm.
1: just kind of like, but I don't really know career wise what that looks like for our relationship. I didn't know what that looked like. Um, we'd only been dating about three or four months at that point, but, but still having some pretty big picture, serious conversations and, at one point, really, the only thing that came to mind was, I think I want to move back to England, where I had studied abroad as a you know, 19-year-old. Casual. Um, mm-hmm. So I was like, I think I want to move there, and I think I can get into this graduate program there for book publishing. Mm-hmm. And if I get in, and if I do it, then I think I can live at the house ACU has and like work with the study abroad program and go to grad school. Mm-hmm. And so... I went back and forth for a long time if I was actually going to apply and actually my mom and dad were the ones who really encouraged me um, to apply and to, to seriously consider moving. They were really, really supportive and they really thought that was the right thing for me to do. And they didn't want me to feel like I had to stay in Texas or anything like that. So Mm -hmm. they really encouraged me to apply and I sent in my application in January of 2017. I pretty soon after that, I told Mitch, um, Hey, I know I just applied to move to another country, but, uh, there's this, there's a church that is over there that I think they also have an internship program that runs for a year, the same length as the master's degree I applied for. Why don't you talk to the church? Um, see if you can apply, see if, see if that could work. So, Um, really from like February to March, I was waiting to hear on grad school and he was waiting to hear on the internship. And so by March, he got accepted to that job. And then we knew at that point that we were both going to try to, we were going to make it happen. We were going to go. And that really, I think kind of set in motion a lot of things that have unfolded for, for both of us the last, in the two years, two and a half years since then. So we both moved. Uh, to Oxford, England. And I began my graduate work at Oxford Brookes University in their master's in publishing media. So, um, you know, I studied journalism, and then now I'm coming into this program, it was all about book publishing, the book business, international publishing, which really, and I'll I'll talk more about this later, but was kind of a, a deep dive into this whole new world that I really didn't know about very much at all. And got to work for ACU and Mitch got to work for the church and he lived in a a house. The church had 12, 12 total interns and um, he got to live with all the other church interns. And then I lived up with all the study abroad students. Uh-huh. And then during that year, you know, we are we kind of had this really important year for the two of us of we knew going into it, you know, if we make it through this year and we're going to learn a lot about one another and one way or another, we're going to know if we're going to yeah. get married. Um, we can make
0: this happen. So
1: yeah, so <laughs> yeah. it was pretty important for for our relationship, and um, and then also during that, you know, in this kind of spring of 2018, was when Mitch began exploring some job opportunities um, for what would be next for him, and um, ended up through some family connections and some some other church connections ended up with the interview at university Avenue here in Austin Mm -hmm. and he got the job here. And then we got engaged. We spent the summer in England. He got, he came back and started working. I finished up my degree, came back. Mm -hmm. And then December of 2018, we got married and then I, we were in Austin. I started a job February of 2019 At a public relations agency, which was not what I wanted to do, which was not Mm -hmm. anything in what I envisioned myself doing. And I was in that job for about six months and then ultimately transitioned into another job at Mm -hmm. a literary agency. And now I work as an editor and project coordinator for authors and Christian books and all sorts of things. So, and then Mitch is the preacher at University Avenue. So, it's kind of been this crazy, winding journey, um, and I know there's a lot in there that we can keep talking about as we're in conversation today, but yeah, that's just kind of a brief overview of mo- getting from Abilene to Austin in a very, very roundabout way.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we use the term brief very loosely yeah. to yeah, great. fill in all the crevices that left between. So- <laughs> Just to fill in for people, you were planning a wedding while you were in a different country. Yes, correct?
1: I was. Yeah, so we got engaged in April when we were in England, and got married in December. Mm-hmm. So yes, we planned the the wedding while I was not home.
0: Yeah, there I was not whatsoever. in Texas
1: until October.
0: Yeah, and then Mitch started his job in January after y'all got married. He, well,
1: he started. Yeah, he started in September. And then the preacher who was there before him retired in December. And so then he officially transitioned into preaching minister in January of
0: 2019. Wow. wow what a man. I mean, just making yeah. it <laughs> Goodness. Okay. (laughs) Yes.
1: Yeah. So that was a, a, yeah, a long, brief explanation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) Okay. So that's beautiful. And we'll unpack a couple pieces of that in a second. So there's a couple words that I would reach for when uh, describing your life from afar. Okay. I think I would reach for um foodie as one of them which I would like to know if you would agree or disagree with that and then books is a major part of your life as well yes. um obviously with the job that you have but I th- I think even outside of your job books would still be like
1: uh, most no, definitely
0: one of the 3 for <laughs> sure so okay let's start let's start with the with the food first because sure. you you instagram a lot of amazing like dishes <laughs> so do you consider yourself a foodie
1: I do, yes, I do.
0: what's the best recipe that that you've got in your repertoire right now?
1: I guess it just kind of depends. so I would say I'm not really a baker I if you know me and know how I am in the kitchen, I'm just kind of a mess, and so um, <laughs> I don't typically use recipes. I typically just like make things no. with what I have i I like when no. I'm cooking dinner, I don't use a recipe most of the time um so, but I do oh, have a few my. things that. I have this one, this like cilantro chicken pasta, which I know sounds a little odd, Whoa. but you make this no. cream sauce with cilantro and roasted corn, kind of like an Alfredo sauce, but not. And with chicken and pasta. And I, it's based off of a restaurant in Midland that has that same dish on the menu that I have since recreated for my family. And we all really like it. So that's wow. one that I make. And then I also okay. love to roast tiny little potatoes just like roast the heck out of them with salt and pepper <laughs> and are I, we
0: talking like gold potatoes here yeah
1: like teeny tiny they literally the yeah. the potato like i don't know if it's like a species or what but uh <laughs> they're called kiwi dutch potatoes and they're the best okay. so okay. i like to roast those with olive oil and salt and pepper and eat them with all sorts of things but that's a that that's a staple in our good. household is tiny potatoes.
0: Uh, <laughs> now, I'm not sure like I think I'm going to I think I'm going to uh push back in every way that listeners are, are are pushing back in their minds right now. I think it would qualify you more that you're a specialist in cooking if you don't use a recipe outside of using a recipe, right? Like cuz my my like one wing is like going off right now <laughs> on like there's no recipe, there's no portioning, like whatsoever. But like, if you're making like really good food without any recipes, you have to be like somewhat good at what you're doing. Right?
1: I guess. Yeah, I think, I mean, you know, I didn't, I would say this is something I've been teaching myself for a very long time. Um, I started Uh when I was in kindergarten, I would come home from school as a five year old and watch the Food Network every day. So, um, oh. and like all of my birthday parties growing up were like chef themed and like cooking parties and. Oh, um,
0: wow, this one. So
1: it's like a twenty year <laughs> development, you know? Like it's, okay. So I don't know. I think I still I'm I don't know. I like to cook, and it's my favorite thing at the end of the day to come home and make something for dinner and figure out what it's going to be. So yeah, I guess you don't necessarily always need a recipe if you know techniques which I know that's like the snootiest thing to say in the world
0: but just uh, next (laughs) level for sure
1: so yeah this is like my whole other part of my life that I'm like maybe someday I'll become the chef I am in my heart I don't know
0: awesome wow so I've (laughs) I've always wondered the couple times we've been together I'm like I wonder I wonder what gets her just like fired up and I think I've found the area that you could get fired up in I
1: sometimes you know I'll go through on social media and like, like, Oh, I need to unfollow some accounts. I'm just Uh following stuff that I don't pay attention to, but you would not believe the number of chefs and cookbook publishers and food bloggers and olive oil companies that I follow online.
0: (laughs) We are going to eat. I'm
1: telling you. Would that, yeah.
0: would that be would that be like one of the ulti- I know we're getting into your job now, but would that be like an ultimate dream? Like to like
1: Oh if I were work
0: on publishing a cookbook?
1: Yeah, for sure. That's like the thing I would want to do in my life.
0: Oh wow. Okay. Whether it's okay. my
1: own cookbook, which would be tough if I don't use recipes, you know, huh. to helping it's somebody just- <laughs> else make a cookbook. I don't know. So i
0: Page 1 learn techniques. Yeah, no, no recipes <laughs> needed. I actually nice. do have okay. a cookbook
1: that's kind of like that. So it's called Where Cooking Begins. I would recommend oh. it if we're in the okay. business of making recommendations
0: on this Wonderful. podcast. Okay, we need to link that then that way people <laughs> can actually grab that. It's a good or one. they can just follow you, right? Because I mean you're posting a decent amount of what you're cooking For the or most at least attempting yeah. to cook, right? I try.
1: I try. Okay. But I'm All not right. a food so, blogger, so don't take my word for it.
0: (laughs) She does that in her pastime. Okay. So let me, let me set you up with another snooty question. What you seem like one of the Oxford, um, experts, as far as food goes, what would you say is the best thing? Like if someone, someone goes over to Oxford, what's the one thing that you're like, you imbecile, if you did not try this, you missed the whole Oxford experience.
1: You know, that's a tough one. I think because British food like actual like British cuisine is
0: mm-hmm.
1: really not all that exciting um but it can be really like comforting when it's cold and you haven't seen the sun in three months so you're like okay I guess I will eat like mashed potatoes with beef stew or something like and that's great um <laughs> but oh, wow. uh so there's you know there's like some good pub food that I think is mm-hmm. is really comfort food when it's cold, but. Um, in terms of like my favorite meal I ate there, there's a Thai food place called Ollie's Thai, O L I, Ollie. Uh-huh. Um, and that's the best food I ate while I was there in Oxford particularly wow. and not not including like London cuz London has a lot of amazing restaurants, but um yeah, the Thai food place was my favorite. It was teeny tiny. I uh-huh. you had to like if you don't get reservations, you can like walk up at lunchtime and try to get a table before they open. And that was what I did. I went there twice in the year that I lived there. And both wow. times I went without a reservation. And it was great. Uh-huh. And made it happen. Duck curry. And everything was perfect about it. So
0: Wow. I was not expecting you to reach for Thai. Yeah, I know. I, th- I think,
1: your- I mean, there's a lot of Southeast Asian, like Thai food, Indian food. Those are all really popular um, uh-huh. in England. Uh-huh. So, yeah, that's what I would go I see- for.
0: Okay. All right. So let's <laughs> let's let's flip from uh best recipe to uh and I'm gonna put you on the spot. Okay. Best book you have ever read. Ever? Like yeah, In let's let's go let's let's go all the way, Allison. If every other book okay, now first let's 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 set one thing. All right, don't go Bible on us. Okay, right. don't no, don't that's, preach for that. No. But if every we got manuscripts, we're gonna be fine. If we'll kinda of, but too much detail. Um <laughs> If if every other book just disappears, like, let's just call this Avengers Endgame, right? Mm-hmm. Every book is going to disappear except one. What's the one that you're going to say society must have this book?
1: I think I could pretty easily say uh, East of Eden would be that book for me. John East Steinbeck. Um, okay. I would say either that or my... Yeah, I would say that is probably the one book I would... Keep around if I had to. If all the other ones were leaving,
0: wow, um, and why <laughs> leaving. Well, how? Why would you say that one?
1: Um, of anything I've read, that book, John Steinbeck, I think understands the human condition better than anybody. Hmm. The like capability for goodness and evil in a person, and I just think that this—it's a story of. So it basically, I don't know if you've read it, but the whole thing is kind of this generational retelling of the story of Cain and Abel. So it follows, I think, two or three generations of brothers who have Mm -hmm. um, some sort of inherent struggle as brothers. And so there's this, yeah, this kind of one branch of a family and then there's another family that the whole story follows. But all that to say, it's a very long book, but um, I think he just kind of nails it when he comes to to looking at good and evil and forgiveness and all of those things are kind of wrapped up in there. And I think everybody should read it.
0: Wow. Okay. And that's East of Eden.
1: East of Eden. Yes. Okay.
0: Okay. Wow. I'm kind of surprised that you were able to really just get it like nail on the head, like identify. Yeah.
1: You know, sometimes people ask that question and you're like, have I ever even read a book? Uh." (laughs) 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 But that's what, yeah.
0: When you describe it as long, okay, so like I I had a conversation with someone earlier and I said, I try to read 52 books a year and you would have thought that person like passed out because they're like, why, like how (laughs) is that even possible? But then I look at people like at your caliber and I'm like, 52 books is probably like nothing for you. You do that in like a January. So like how long is this book actually? That way we all know.
1: Um. I mean I have it on my shelf across the room. It's probably hold on, let me just look okay. at
0: it. This podcast just became a live action podcast now. <laughs>
1: um, I bet it's probably five hundred plus pages. Wow.
0: Okay, that is long. <laughs> that is long. Yeah. I will I will definitely get direct messages and emails. I'm glad I asked <laughs> that because without it like People, people are very sensitive. Like, they will very much let me know what they think about every single thing. So, I'm glad we oh, identified yeah. and we didn't hoodlink yes. anyone too early. In that. Right. It's long. Okay. It's a long book. Okay.
1: But it's weird because I do like read books almost all day mm-hmm. long. Some days, like, I read a lot of books at my job, mm-hmm. but I don't really count any of those towards my personal reading because that's work. Yeah. So,. At the moment, you know, we're heading, we're in the beginning of, we're in the first third of the year still.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I feel behind on my reading. Um, I feel like I'm kind of lagging on my, my goal for the year. Mm. So my goal was only to read 30 books this year. Okay. Yeah. I don't think I, I don't get through a book a week, so I don't, yeah, try to just keep it around 20 or 30, but
0: okay okay
1: i'm pushing for more every year <laughs> yeah.
0: no and i am too and i think that i think that it balances out because i mean some books between how much how much is in between each line and the margins and how they write some of it's like right. two yeah. books can get accomplished a week but like the reading right. count for one of those books is not as much as the other um, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But then you pick up some other author, author that's <laughs> like, oh goodness, we're deep diving here.
1: I know. Okay. I recently just bought a copy of War and Peace uh-huh. by Tolstoy, and I think I will probably be, be reading that until I turn thirty.
0: <laughs> yeah, so. that's that's a definition of what we call a deep dive. If you go, if you go right. there. So, what would you say to people who don't have any space or don't create any space? To read in their lives like what, what would be your response with that do you think it's valuable in the first third and like what would you suggest to people
1: um i think my first thing i would say is we probably all are looking at instagram too much oh it's
0: um, gonna I, get after us okay yeah.
1: <laughs> i recently read in a book i wish i had it in front of me to tell you the actual numbers but you know the the number of minutes it would take to read something like 20 or 30 books a year Mm
0: -hmm.
1: is like a third of the time that we're spending looking at our phones. And so I think it's a, yeah, it's terrifying to like see that written down you're like, Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think, you know, it does take an effort to carve out that time. And I think a lot of people can benefit from like, I just try to make it a habit of every night. The last thing I do before I fall asleep is read a book um, rather than be looking at my phone. I think I, I had personally a really hard time breaking myself Mm of that and I still have to work on it a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, if I'm, you know, talking to my friends or my siblings, anything like that, it can be easy to just be like texting people or looking at my phone till my eyes are tired. But I try to make the last thing I reach for in a day, be a book. And I think, yeah, it takes that practice and, whether it's you know setting a goal of, like you just want to read ten pages a day, or you're going to read for twenty minutes at the end of the day, mm-hmm. um, I think all of those things ultimately can help form a habit of making reading a part of your life. And I think the other thing is, yeah, just sometimes when you have you have twenty minutes before you're waiting to leave, instead of like sitting on the couch and watching something on Netflix, I'm I'm trying to mm-hmm. think, okay, I think that's twenty minutes I can be reading and. I've been going through a lot of classic books lately, Mm -hmm. like things that I, you know, there's, this is kind of a separate question, but, or idea. Um, I think there can be this idea of like feeling guilty for not reading things that everybody thinks you have read. Uh And like, not like, you know, shameful guilt or anything, but like, oh no, I can't believe I haven't actually read Little Women and everybody thinks I've read Little Women.
0: Like,
1: things like that. And so, you know, I'm just, I've been lately like, reading more things that I probably felt like I should have read as like a teenager or even like a, a girl. And I am enjoying them so much now. Um, things like, yeah, things like Little Women, Anne of Green Gables, A Wrinkle mm-hmm. in Time, those sorts of mm-hmm. books that are like traditionally marketed as kids books, but I found a lot of comfort in reading them. And they, those are really easy things to, to dive into when something more daunting like, like East of Eden Peace. or War and Peace is like, mm-hmm. I'm I'm not going to remember any of War and Peace if I read it at 11pm. But reading yeah. Anne of Green Gables is like a really comforting thing for me. So I think kind of figuring out what people like what they what is enjoyable. I think reading doesn't uh-huh. have to be a chore. Some people feel like it's like exhausting and just like, Oh, I don't want to do that. But I find especially since I do read all day long, um, it's important for me to to read things that I find that are really joyful to me. So Hmm. yeah, that's just a little bit about it. But I also think we all look at our phones way too much.
0: Yeah, no, I'm, (laughs) I'm tracking with you. And that's a, that's a really thoughtful, just, just observation as a whole. I, I try to, I try to carry, people make fun of me, but like, I always carry a backpack with me that usually has two to three books because I'm always working in the lane of like, I've got my fast read and then I've got my like, medium read and then I've got my this book is too intelligent for Zane so it's gonna take me a <laughs> the time to yeah. like sound out the words but like I always have all three depending on do I have five minutes before I go mm-hmm. to the dentist or you know in between so I think that's really good do you have a do you have a suggestion of uh if someone were to just pick up something and start reading like do you have a suggestion for people
1: Oh, man. I mean, it really depends on what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I recently read a novel called A Gentleman in Moscow, which I really loved. That was just like a fun... Oh, huh.
0: By who? Uh, it's
1: by, I think his name is Amer, Amor A-M-O-R, Towels, T-O-W-L-E-S, T-O-W-L-E-S Amor Towels, I think. Um, okay. Yeah, but A Gentleman in Moscow, it was just delightful and really intriguing and a great fictional story so I loved that one yeah that would probably be my fiction recommendation
0: huh. in terms
1: of nonfiction um I really love Malcolm Gladwell but I'm like
0: oh my goodness
1: not his best fan because I haven't even read his new book yet see that's this is like my book guilt <laughs> coming through like his book came out in September yep. and I I've listened to so many podcasts where he talks about the book and I still haven't read it. So that's just a confession moment for me, but I love his book, David and Goliath and the outliers. Mm -hmm. Those are two great Mm -hmm. ones that are just really thought provoking. And I think anybody would enjoy reading anything he writes.
0: Okay. Well, I'll I'll switch you and I'll do confession time with you as well. So (laughs) I actually have read my first, uh, my first book of his because of you. Um, because really? yeah, I, oh, wow. well, I saw you, I saw you post a while back on, you went to a conference that he was at. And when I yes. saw it, I was like, Oh my goodness. I, cause I felt some of that shame as well of like, I, he's written all these great books. I need to pick one up. So I did pick up talking strangers or Sorry. Okay. Talking to strangers. That's the title, right? Yes. Um, yes, and i yeah. And I'm halfway through it right now. And the thing that I have already learned with him, that's good for me Um, is how much I lack in my knowledge of history, Um, just because he's so good at weaving his story through history. But he's a really good, he's, he's an excellent writer. Um, But you actually brought me on to reading him.
1: Oh, cool. Well, I'm glad. Yeah, you should check out his other stuff. And if you haven't listened to his podcast, it's also the best thing ever. So
0: which would be what?
1: Oh, it's called, uh, revisionist history. Oh, There
0: we go. Okay. I've heard people talk about it and basically it does what
1: he often is like looking back at something in history. That's been, he always says like, it's been overlooked or misunderstood. And he kind of looks at it through his own lens. Hmm. Um, and they're always really fascinating and, um, just insightful and, and he's really good at making podcasts. So they're just
0: very well produced awesome. as well. So. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's my own Gladwell. He's all our hero. Apparently. <laughs> okay. Well, let's, yes. uh, let's transition a little bit to talking about um, not just books, but like uh, what you do with books with work. So yeah. uh, I'm curious on the level of the first job that you took didn't seem like it, you, you at least framed it in a way that didn't sound like it panned out the way you were hoping to. And then you also described a little bit of when you entered journalism was your undergrad background, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, You, you said you really didn't know what you were visualizing there. So I'd kind of be curious, like, can you just walk people through what you were thinking when, what, what were you thinking Allison, yeah. but like, no, what, what were you thinking in undergrad switching to this first job? And it didn't seem like it was a click to moving to something that you're doing right now. Can you kind of walk people through your sure, thought process yeah. and experience with that?
1: So, like I said, I was a journalism major in college and I think I kind of chose that because I felt like it ultimately would give me a little bit more technical skills than being something like an English major, just in terms mm-hmm. of like, I also like publication design and the project management side of things too. So I thought, okay, in in addition to writing and reading, I would get to do a little bit more of the design and media side of things if I went with journalism. So that was kind of, that kind of motivated my decision to pursue that as my undergraduate degree. And yeah, so I feel like I, yeah, I never really thought I was going to be some like beat reporter of just like working <laughs> at a newspaper and covering, you know, local crime or something like that. Like that was yeah. not what I ever wanted to do. Um, and I always, I did really like feature writing more of the like long form Mm -hmm. Um, pieces that I got to work on. And and I was always more interested in that sort of thing. And then I also liked managing the whole like production of the newspaper, um, laying it out, piecing together all the stories, um, all of those sorts of things. I always, I liked that a lot. So yeah, so then I, you know, go do this book publishing master's program and learned a ton, really learned about this whole new industry, I think. And I've seen other people that work in publishing say this, where there's like kind of this moment of this epiphany, if you will, where you realize that books are like made by companies and they're made somewhere. And Mm. that's a job for someone. (laughs) Um, I think for, you know, I didn't realize that for a long time and then a
0: whole new world.
1: Yeah. And then in college I was like, Oh, like, that's like a thing that people Uh do. Um, and I think, you know, maybe partially that's because the industry as we like kind of think of it is it really is like pretty concentrated in somewhere like New York City or London like that's where all the big publishers offices are so it feels pretty out of touch like you can't get into it if you're not there Mm -hmm. okay all that to say so I knew coming out of the master's degree and moving to Austin that my opportunities for traditional book publishers would be pretty limited Mm -hmm. just because they don't have offices really outside of of New York And, or a lot of the like big, what we think of it, we call them like trade publishers. So Penguin Random House, Mm -hmm. things like that. There's just not a job market outside of that. And so I started looking at other options of like, okay, what what else could I do with my skill set? Like, I like writing. I like managing people, projects, things like that. And I came across an opportunity for a public relations job, which is kind of the other side of the coin of the journalism world where... Instead of writing stories about people, you know, you're pitching clients to be written about. You're trying to have stories oh, okay. placed. Um, you're managing the messaging rather than like reporting what's happening. You know, you're trying to control mm-hmm. it more. So, I just mm-hmm. kind of felt like I was on the wrong side of the coin of what I liked doing, and that I was always going to be frustrated in. And, and I, I just didn't feel like a PR person. Like there's mm-hmm. in my head, there's kind of a a standard. PR person stereotype, which I know is not fair to all PR people. They're not all the same. Uh Um, But I just didn't feel like I fit that. And I didn't want to and I didn't really want to like work to become good at it. So I was kind of landed in this spot where I felt really unmotivated and really not like myself. And which was really frustrating, you know, after having a really fulfilling undergraduate educational experience and a really good experience in a master's program that got me really excited about a particular field only to then resonated. Yeah. Only to come to a place where there wasn't a job where I could do that or, you know, so I thought, um, so yeah, that's kind of where I ended up about middle of last year. And Mm -hmm. I just always was like, this isn't it. This is not just, I just knew it wasn't the right environment for me and my family and my husband could tell as well that it wasn't the right place for me to be and i had had a professor from acu tell me before i accepted that job that first job he said if something else comes along even if it's at a weird time don't be afraid to take it um oh, don't wow. don't feel like you have to stay somewhere for the sake of a resume and so i kind of always had that in the back of my mind like i don't have to put in 18 months or 2 years at a first job that i really really don't like for hmm. the sake of my resume looking okay. And so I wasn't ever really afraid to seek out something that sounded like more like me and really kind of through a crazy, I mean, it wasn't that crazy, but it felt crazy at the time. But we, at my first job, we had a client who was looking to publish a book who wanted a literary agent or wanted to speak with one. And I like somebody at the company at my old company listed, sent a list of Texas based literary agents. And so I look them all up and there's this one in Austin. And I was like, what the heck? Like why did in all my searching for a job when I moved here, this website literally literally never came up. This Christian woman who represents all these, you know, big name pastors and people in the Christian world to all the big publishers. Like she has an office in Austin. I had no idea. And then I look on their staff page and I know a girl from high school who works there. Wow. And I was like, are you kidding me? I know wow. someone who works here and I didn't know. Um, So I immediately messaged the girl I knew on LinkedIn and just said, Hey, I have recently moved here. I have, this is the degree I have. I'm really interested in working in publishing. Like I don't know if your agency is hiring, but I would be really interested to learn more. And here's my resume. If like, something ever comes up. Wow. So
0: you've sent and, that in the message, like just shot in the dark.
1: Yeah, totally. I was like, I don't know if there's a spot, but I want to know if there is. And like, please let me know. <laughs> and she responded back. She was like, Hey, here's who to send your resume to. And within a couple of weeks, I started having phone calls with them Wow! about what they do. And eventually I met the founder, we had coffee and she was just pretty right out of the gate. You know, pretty affirming and said, I really feel like God brought you to our company and that we really want you to work for us. And I thought I was just going to like learn about what she did and came away from that meeting pretty much like, okay, whoa, that was not what I was expecting. Right. Um, and so a few weeks later, I got the official offer and the next day I walked in and quit my other job. So wow. um, it was kind of crazy and yeah, so I transitioned into this new role at the agency in August, at the end of August of last year. And so I've been there just a little, barely over six months now. And and it's just been, I've learned so much and it's been really great and a way better fit and amusing so much of what I have learned in my, in my education and getting to to work with people and work on projects that I just didn't ever think would be possible to work on not living in somewhere like New York. Um, and really I'm getting, because it's a smaller company, I get a lot of really hands-on experience Mm -hmm. with authors, with manuscript editing, with publication design, all those sorts of things that I'm getting to jump into and kind of really take on and really learn, um, in a way that I don't think would be possible in a, in a big company environment in the same way, so.
0: Yeah, which is, which is a crucial reminder for people to just always be thinking of, of like, they're always thinking, like, how can I move to the biggest name, but sometimes when you go with um, something that's more local, it really does give you the ability to have hands-on in ways that you wouldn't get that. um, Yeah. If you were working somewhere, like you said, like with Penguin Publishing or something like that.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, the other thing that really and I know, you know, I think you hear people say this a lot as you kind of get to the end of college. A lot of times those those kinds of job experiences do come from like relationships and personal mm-hmm. connections more than, you know, sending in a resume to some link. Um, not that that's impossible to find a great job from from submitting your resume amidst a lot of others, but I think the power of connecting with people and just looking around at who do you know and who's doing what you want to be doing, you know, I think it's really important.
0: Wow. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. Cause it's true. Tell me about biggest obstacle you faced um, just working in this third of life right now. You don't have to um, give us details, but just like yeah. what's something that you ran into that you're like, wow, I was not expecting that. And that's something I've had to navigate.
1: Yeah. I think in that first job that I was in, it was so I just felt so not myself. It was just really hard. Like I had never in my life experienced really like struggling to get out of bed and get out the door in the morning.
0: Um,
1: And that was really disorienting for me um, Mm -hmm. to feel like so anxious about going into an office and, and being at at a certain place all day long. Like I just hated that feeling. And and I didn't really know how to cope with it. And so, and it took a lot of people that I love and respect and listen to, to tell me I didn't have to keep doing that. Um, that just Mm -hmm. isn't all, and I know for some people it's different and I know finding a job can be really hard, but it was really difficult to feel so just not like myself for, for a couple of months. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah, so that was one. And then Probably the other thing I would say is because I had lived in England and done a master's degree for a year, uh-huh. when I was starting out working and kind of transitioning from that school experience to the working experience, I felt like all my friends had already done that because they had already had a year under their belts at a job uh-huh. and they weren't in that same like early entry level, like nine to five this is such a grind like I can't believe I'm gonna do this forever phase where mm-hmm. and so I just felt like I was behind and I felt like I was being a big baby like not liking going to work every day because all my friends already like got all that out of their system and huh. and I felt like I kind of felt bad that I I like wanted to talk to them all the time about how I felt and like they were all like yeah you know like we We've already did already it. Done
0: this uh-huh. But
1: they, you know they were never like demeaning or anything. I don't. I'm not meaning to say that. But more of just like, I felt like I was playing catch up in a lot of ways.
0: No, that t- that completely makes sense, and it's so funny. Just on the once once people get done with a chapter of life, especially like. How the movement's changing now of like we're not so just uniform of like you go to school here and then after that you get an internship here and then after that you get a job and then you find a spouse and then you have 2.5 kids. like now we're so everywhere of like we'll take a little bit of education and then we'll break off and do an internship then we'll travel for a year and then we'll okay. go back to a job like that that feeling has to be more universal across the board and you're just experiencing on it on one of the lanes right Um, people have so just even identifying that um that tension probably puts to words what other people feel as well Mm -hmm. were you inviting other people into your life of saying hey do I feel like myself right now or were other people just volunteering that information to you Um, like as far as your family yeah kind of a
1: mix I think you know, it's kind of that cycle of, like, I would complain about my job, and then whoever, my whether it was my mom or dad or Mitch or my siblings, my sister or my brother, they would be like, okay, well, that doesn't sound like something you'd normally say, so you need to figure that out. Like, huh. Or they would be like, I just don't understand why you don't just quit. And I was like, well, I can't quit because I'm working on a project. And they were like, well, you can quit. You're just telling yourself that you can't. I was like, No, but I can't. I can't do it. Wow. I can't bring myself to you know, it was the kind of this whole thing where they were volunteering that and I was also asking, like, what do I do? And then they would tell me right. and I wouldn't listen. So
0: <laughs> Right. I right.
1: arrived there for myself. So
0: Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, they were affirming exactly what you probably already knew internally. Yeah. But it was just yeah. pushing back against Okay, well can we talk about one of the one of the men in your life who's done that then? Mitch. Can we talk about him? Yes,
1: we can talk about Mitch. Awesome.
0: Okay. <laughs> Do you want to share just for a minute like the story of how y'all came to like find his job but also I don't I don't want to spoil it, but I just think it's one of the best stories ever.
1: Yeah, totally. So at Christmas break we came home from England for a couple of weeks and at this point we were not engaged. Mm-hmm. Um, But we knew that we wanted to think about getting married a year from that December. So we had just started talking about that. And we were like, well, you know, if we're home now, this is really the only time if we're going to have a December wedding, we need to go look at venues for mm-hmm. a wedding. And why don't we do that while we're home over Christmas? So I, my mom, and I came to Austin and. Because we had talked about getting married in Austin, and uh, my mom actually grew up at University Avenue Church of Christ. Oh, my grandparents, my grandparents were members there for a long time, and that was where my parents got married. So I thought, okay, let's go up to the church. I want to see it in person. I want to look at it because I think it would be great to have a wedding there. It's downtown. Mm-hmm. It's, it can seat a lot of people. It's pretty. They have stained glass windows. So um, we, me, my mom, and Mitch went up to the church. And we're, we just walked in like we literally were like, can we just come look around? <laughs> so we walked in and Eddie Sharp, who was the preaching minister there, um, he had been there for 10 years at that point. And um, so he we ran into Eddie. We said hi. He knew, you know, when ACU world, you kind of can know everybody and even if you haven't met them. So he knew who we were. We talked for a minute and then Mitch said, oh, yeah, you know, I'm finishing a or I have finished up at the GST and I'm looking at what I'm going to do next. And Eddie said, well, why don't you send me an email? I know who you are. I've heard about you. I want to talk to you. And we were like, Oh wait, I said that wrong. Okay. No. Before Eddie said that my mom Uh jokingly said to Eddie, my mom said, Hey, whenever you retire, if you need a replacement, (sighs) check out my future (laughs) son-in-law and then that's when eddie said oh yeah i know who you are i need you to send me an email Mm. um and then the next so mitch emailed him and like two days later he went back up to the church before he was going back to england and eddie said oh yeah like just come to my office so mitch was wearing like a long sleeve t-shirt and like athletic shorts or something like he was I don't know even though, like he wasn't not set up for, an for like an interview and so he walks into Eddie's office and then like one of the elders walks in another minister walks in and they like all sit there and talk and um anyways he was like oh that was definitely like an informal interview sort of thing so um yeah and then from there you know they formed a preacher search committee Talked with Mitch a lot. They talked with me a little bit and then flew him out in April to come preach at the church and meet the rest of the staff. And then, yeah, within a couple of weeks after that, they offered him the position and it was very exciting. But I, it's funny because from that day in January that we talked with Eddie, it was like, I just kind of knew, like I. Really? Yeah. Like I have like a journal journal or in my, the margin of my Bible or something, I wrote like January 10th, 2019, like, can't wait to move to Austin and Mitch be the preacher at UA. Like, I never really had any doubt that that's what, that's where we were going to be. And it was just, you know, I felt really great about it because it was just such a special place for my family. Um, so many people like knew me going into it, which I think was really big, um, for the, My end of that transition, Uh even though you know I don't work for the church, but that was really important to feel like I was known there, right? Um, And it was just really an answer to a lot of prayers of getting to still be closer to family, close to home. I didn't really, I wasn't really interested in moving somewhere random across America after having just been really far. I mean, I wasn't totally unwilling, but I just wasn't really interested <laughs> right and it's not, and like, so, it's not um, like you hadn't
0: already been doing yeah that. yeah yep. so
1: I felt like you know we had kind of had that experience of being far away of really having like just the two of us together and so in a lot of ways I was really hopeful and just really excited to get to to come to Austin
0: mm-hmm. yeah I I love that story and I think it's beautiful just because I mean there's some stories that you're like, okay, God just drenched some beauty in mm-hmm. the midst of all that, that the place where y'all could get married is also the place where he was going to be anointed to yeah. preach. Yeah, and so like, like, that's just so much, you know?
1: Yeah, it's really cool. And, you know, I love looking at the photos from our wedding of like, this is so cool that it's where we got married. It's where my mom and dad got married. And
0: oh, it's cool. where,
1: it's where like we have our church family now. And I don't know. It's just great. I love it.
0: Oh man, that is awesome. You know, another yeah. another confession thing that I've got for you. I have a list of the, I keep it in my Evernote. I have a list of the top 10 just horror moments in my life. And you and Mitch's wedding was a beautiful day and everything was fabulous. But that moment uh for me made one of my top ten. And I won't share how that made it in my top ten. Oh
1: no. Um,
0: oh, it did. But I I never <laughs> I never shared it with anyone. We tried to put push it under the rug as much as possible. But I always oh look gosh. and number nine, it's on there. It is on there. Oh
1: man, I'm so So One curious. day
0: I may get enough courage to be like, Mitch, <laughs> this is this is what happened. Allison, this oh is my gosh. what happened. Uh, I'm but anyways, so it was beautiful. But... It was absolutely beautiful, <laughs> but we have to speed bumper right over that. We can't, yes, we okay. can't cover that right now. Uh, what, what advice would you have for just people in their first couple of years of marriage? Like what, what have you and Mitch kind of taken away or learned or mm-hmm. learned how to form?
1: I think one thing that, I mean, I think probably anybody navigating the first couple of years of marriage would say you have to, you have to learn how to communicate. Um, cause it is different than, than just dating and even being engaged um, mm. of like when the every day with the person of, you know, you live together now and those sorts of things do come up of learning how to to communicate, learning how to communicate your expectations for things. Um, so we, I feel like I've learned a lot about that of what we mean when we say certain things. Huh. Um, Mitch jokes that sometimes I will, will be doing something and, he'll suggest something and then I and he's just pointed this out to me recently that this is something I do but (laughs) when I'm like he can tell that wasn't what I wanted to do I actually will say out loud like well I had it in my head that (laughs) you know fill in the blank and like that's like that's the you know I clearly had a different expectation Um, yeah and so I think and you know being able to to identify those things to laugh at yourself to make a joke out of it after you deal with the thing at hand Mm -hmm. it's really key to to just learning how to keep talking with each other every day yeah and i think that's the other thing is you're just always trying to communicate and not put off those conversations i think we've also found like when we do have any little bits of conflict like we would rather even if it means like sitting in silence for a few minutes before we figure out what to say we would rather just deal with it right Mm. then than try to revisit something later. So we always just try, try to put those things to rest as quickly as we can. So, mm. yeah.
0: Yeah, no, that that's extremely helpful. I
1: would say being married is not always arguing with one another. <laughs> we have a lot of fun yeah. and um finding those things that we're both interested in that we love to talk about, that we love to do together. I think that's also really important to to know those to find those things too and to to pursue those
0: things together absolutely yeah and I, I think I think even the like one of the differences that makes marriage different is you're in it like in the long haul with this person right so a lot right. of times when you hit a speed bump or you're working on one of those things this is one of like many swings that you're going to get <laughs> yeah, exactly and figuring this thing out so if it's like if you don't land it The first time or the 50th time, don't worry. They're still going to wake up next to you the next day. And you're probably going to get that chance again. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I imagine imagine between you and Mitch, like reading things and sharing ideas together is probably like has to be one of y'all's sweet spots. It it is.
1: Because if you think I like reading, you haven't even met Mitch yet. He reads 10 times more than I do. So yeah, we talk a lot about books. Mm-hmm. A lot. And also mm-hmm. movies. We like movies. He likes movies even more than I do. I really yeah. I really like about five movies a lot. <laughs> <This> <laughs> like my big joke with all my friends is, oh hey Allison, have you seen that movie? No, you were too busy watching Pride and <laughs> Prejudice. And Dang, it's, over
0: and over and over. And I'm not
1: gonna say it's not true.
0: <laughs> yeah. I won't deny it. Is that number one?
1: It's like a two-way tie between that and You've Got Mail.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. care okay, you should talk. Yeah, okay.
1: So Got it. But, well, and okay. honestly, I blame You've Got Mail for my whole deal with books. Like, that movie ruined my life because it's like, oh, we cannot all own a charming children's bookstore on the Upper West Side in Manhattan. <laughs> but that movie made me think that I could. And here I am today. Mm. So,
0: yes, is that a spark point for your obsession with books?
1: Uh, yes, I would say that movie is. And also, reading The Tale of Despero when I was in third grade mm. was the first mm. book I ever truly loved with my whole heart. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I just, wow. I
0: feel like this moment became very like opening of your it heart is, for that. Yeah, wow. but Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for trusting us. Exactly, with that. Yes. That, that was a, that was a next level that you just took us to. Let me hit you with some final life questions yeah. as we, as we wrap it up here. What do you wish that, you know, looking back at the past couple of years that you've lived and you've gotten to do just some awesome things and a lot of transitions in between. What do you wish you would have done more of and what do you wish you would have done less of?
1: I I think well and I know this is like maybe just your people are probably at this point like, Okay, give me a break, but I always say like I wish I read more. I wish I read more books. Like I'm never gonna Really Yeah, I never am gonna read everything I wanna read. Um, yeah. the other thing I would say is like going on walks and being outside. I wish I did that more. Um, huh. maybe not in like Texas in the middle of July, but.
0: Yeah. The uh, armpit sweat I, is real.
1: <laughs> I, yeah, I think just kind of, I wish I moved more. Maybe that's like, I just, I always find, I miss, that's one of the things I miss about living in Oxford was I rode my bike everywhere. And so I was always having to actually like get on a bike and move to get somewhere. Mm -hmm. And um, Mm -hmm. I wish I did more of that. It's something that's harder to do when, you know, you have to drive 20 miles to get to an office every day, which is what I have to do in my case. But um, yeah, so I'm in my car, you know, an hour in the like round trip every day, which is just making that harder. But I wish I, yeah, I got outside and moved more and less of, I wish I spent less time on social media And I wish I spent less time worrying about
0: the world. (laughs) Wow.
1: I feel like we went for for
0: Instagram and then we went for world peace. Like, (laughs) Like one was macro and one was micro. Yeah, they're kind of related
1: because I went through this whole phase in like 2016 where I looked at Twitter all the time and it made me actually really anxious about like North Korea. And,
0: oh wow yeah, it
1: was like weird. I was like not sleeping well at night because I couldn't stop thinking uh-huh. about it and so I had to, I had to like stop looking at Twitter for a couple of months because I was like I just can't this is just not adding anything positive to my life. So I wish I had less of that, I would say
0: whoa okay I did, not, <laughs> I did not see that I would have really Promise, I don't mean to joke with your pain whatsoever but oh no like, it's not pain have,
1: it's funny I think. okay it's funny. I
0: would have really enjoyed staying in the room when someone had to break it to you of like Allison your obsession with North Korea or your anxiety with North Korea is too much like, yes I like, know I yeah have, so
1: I figured that out and I was like okay I have done this to myself so yeah I think <laughs> okay. just like I think there can you know we can kind of fixate on on things cuz we are hearing about everything that happens um yeah and i think we need less of that um yeah yeah i always I thought... threaten that i'm going to move to the scottish highlands and start my own <laughs> sheep farm there and that's really about all i want in my life yeah
0: <laughs> yeah there's no books there but no. there would be plenty of sheep yeah, yeah and i feel i feel just the tension as well of I mean, I think my parents sometimes look at me and they're like, he is so uninformed because like they watch the news 24-7. Yeah, and, no, I, I don't and, have any
1: time for that. And I was a journalism yeah, major and I'm like, true, I'm not dealing with the news anymore. Like,
0: yeah, like sometimes <laughs> there's too much weight to I bear. Like
1: newspaper. I like newspapers. I think, huh. you know, occasionally I like to look at a newspaper. Yeah. Um, cause Do it's you think like a newspaper contained. is the right
0: amount of time? Yeah.
1: I yeah, I think it's I I mean, I know it's like I have all these nostalgic thoughts about print media, but I think <laughs> the thing about a newspaper is there can only be so much stuff in it and that's all there is to read. Um there's no endless oh. scroll when you have, you know, x amount of pages. So, I much prefer that to the internet.
0: internet. Wow, look at you. <laughs> wow, that was that was really good. It wow. That may, that may be such a common knowledge for people in your field, but like for those of us outside your field, that's extremely thoughtful. <laughs> like, <Thank you. laughs> like, wow. Yeah, that that's so true with it. All right. So let's flip it to that of like what we've kind of released um, with it. Talk about what, what do you think in the first third of life people should wrestle with a little bit more?
1: I think we probably need to, I guess it depends on what, you know, what context people are coming from, but I think we need to wrestle more with being a little more average like and being okay with it. I think that we are kind of with our generation and the the time that we've grown up in like anything is possible and everybody could be famous is like kind of what we grow up thinking and hmm. in a particular like I don't know like coming out of somewhere like ACU where you know there's just this emphasis on like you can change the whole world hmm. and I do think there is a place for that kind of ambition but I also think we have to wrestle with just like the regularness of life Hmm. um of the everyday like going to your job and just doing your job and you know you didn't get to go on a trip with your friends because you're 25 and it's not in your budget to do that like I think I think we need to to kind of come to terms with some of those things more not that it's like saying we're not going to like live our life and like take hold of every day of our life because I don't want to like be resigned to mediocrity necessarily but I think that that we do need to kind of come to terms with some of that a little bit and maybe like I don't know I feel like I have yeah that's what I don't know I just feel like that's something that I've kind of wrestled with and like how do I balance this desire to like wanting to do really good work wanting Mm -hmm. to work hard wanting to be good at what I do but also like being okay with like not necessarily being like known like is that am I okay with that you know I think that's that's just something that I've thought a lot about um I've had conversations with friends about that and I think there's just kind of this balance and it's something definitely to to wrestle with because um Mm -hmm. and then I think the other thing would probably be wrestling with what you're hoping for when like 20 years down the road like I think a lot about if I want to when I'm you know 45 or 50 like 20 years from now 25 years from now like where do I want to be and if I'm, am I doing things now that are setting me up for that? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I think, you know, whether it's financially or in terms of like my physical health or what I want my family to look like, you know, those sorts of things. I think it can be easy to think like we're all going to be in our mid twenties forever when everybody else around us like looks like that and is living like that. Um, but just kind of enjoying where you are, but also like planting those seeds for the future I think we need to to think about that more mm-hmm. than we do
0: mm-hmm. no I think that's huge because I think I think how you spend the first third will definitely um influence yeah it'll definitely influence what you see in the um what roar would call the second half of life of just mm-hmm. the you're giving and pouring out to people and those rhythms don't just click all of a sudden right they get yeah. formed. Mm -hmm. yeah and I was also thinking like you uh you mentioned of just the average piece Liz Bohannon writes a really good chapter that's just called own your average and it's just this brilliant chapter where she's like everyone needs to calm down like you are (laughs) you are one of many snowflakes out in the world and you're most likely just being faithful to the task that's in front of you
1: right and
0: you need to be okay with that because i think the other side of the equal sign if i'm hearing you right basically breeds discontentment if you're always looking for how are you not average or how are you exceeding right or or, you know or ultimately
1: you're gonna crash and burn you know
0: yeah that's absolutely huge Okay. So last question for it then, after you just dropped that insight, let's see if you'll (laughs) drop one more. What are, what are you onto right now in life?
1: Yeah, I think, I think, you know, kind of related to that. I feel like I am, I'm trying to figure out if I'm less ambitious than I thought I was. Um, I don't really know if that fits the question, but I think, I think a lot about, you know, am I ever going to own my own business and what would that look like and what do I do and how, like, what do I need to know?
0: When will Um, the sheep farm start?
1: Yeah, exactly. When am I going to be a farmer? Uh, (laughs) When am I going to go to culinary school? You know, all of these sorts of things are constantly floating through my head. They're, yeah, I finally, well, this is a tangent I had to Uh explain to Mitch one day like sometimes I say things and I don't always mean that I think they're going to happen I just have to say them right like oh I need to get a PhD in journalism and go to culinary school and own a bookstore and blah 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 like I just say a bunch of stuff but um I think yeah kind of trying to to figure out um what those things are going to be that I really pour into and I want to do those things well but I don't I don't know if I have the same. I'm not really into, like, notoriety like I thought I would be. Like, I used to think, like, oh, I want to, like, win a Pulitzer or work at the Washington Post or something crazy. I don't know. But I don't really feel that way right now. And I don't know if that's, like, a forever thing or um, if that's just kind of I'm in this season of I'm going to do my job, I'm going to work hard, but... I also want to have a life outside of like working all the time, and I don't yeah. feel like I work constantly. I have a really, I feel like I have a good balance of that. But yeah, those are all just things I am thinking about a lot. Huh.
0: So you're, yeah. So when you answer the wrestling question, that's one of the wrestlings you're also having right now. Yeah, yeah. So
1: of what, what's that going to look like for me?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, awesome, and. I resonate with that because I think that's that's one of the things of like once you actually dump into like working full time I think there's always a little bit of disenchantment of like wait is this it yeah (laughs) like like, I thought there was going to be a little bit something more or things were going to move a little quicker Mm -hmm. than this Um, and I think that like naturally helps us kind of push into that question of like what is what is our life going to be about? And I really like the phrasing that you're wrestling with of just like, is life going to be more than work as a whole? Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. Um, And I think, you know, I, I, I look at people that I really respect and admire what their life looks like. And it's often they are spend a lot of time with their family and with people they love and they don't work mm -hmm. all the time and they have, you know, done good work, but I would rather, you know, do some good work and, be with my family and be with the people I love Then, then look up and be like what did I do f- and for who <laughs> right. so Word I think I've, time, I've yeah. kind of in some ways feel like I've I don't know it feels weird to say like I've shrunk my vision but huh. I don't know if that's totally true yet that's what I'm trying to figure out but I'm thinking wow. about it
0: <laughs> I would I would hold on to that language because that could that could be beautiful shrinking yeah the vision. just
1: focusing in on something a little bit smaller
0: whoa oh Allison you've got a book chapter <laughs> there man. we go I know holy cow how to write a shrinking book but you may you may have a title of a book who, who knows? knows um wow okay yeah I I wow I really like that phrasing um because I think there's I think there's something healthy to that with shrinking our vision at points especially if we got a healthy dose of always expand one of the things I was thinking about as you were saying that was like I wish people's lives that we looked at had uh information labels on the back that was like warning side effects right so like with some of the most successful people i wish we could know the side effects of yeah totally you know, never gets to spend time with family or uh really wrestles with anxiety and depression or like different things like that where we're like we see one side but we don't see the other side of what that life is and we need to figure out what the answer uh that we want to have and the side effects we'll live with and we won't Except, could be, yeah, totally. So, I don't know, I don't know. Okay, well, we dived into that, that went uh further than I thought, but I don't think it was bad because I think we found you a book title, yes, totally. Um, so congratulations on that (laughs) job (laughs) done! (laughs) Thanks to Tom for being willing to do this,
1: yeah, absolutely.
0: Cool, cool, cool. Uh, where can people uh follow you if they have an interest or they want to DM you,
1: Allison? Brown East, all one word on Instagram. Mm-hmm. You could find me, mm-hmm. Allison with two L's, and yes, that is where I am.
0: Yep. And just to clarify, you will not find any recipes whatsoever as you've released <laughs> no. tonight. So. so <laughs> yep. It's Deal all it. just
1: made up. Yep. yep.
0: Deal with it. Accept it. Awesome. Yes. Well, thanks for coming on the show.
1: Yeah. Thanks so much for having me.
0: All right, there she is, Allison brown east see every time i still trip up on it i still want to say allison brown went now it's allison brown east hope you enjoyed our discussion that we had today We uh, are entering into closing our final week of interviews. So this is going to be the end of season two. And I've got exciting news because season three has been in the works and is on the way. And I'm kind of excited for season three. if you haven't gotten that so far in just these closing outros. So subscribe. Let us know that you're out there. Follow us um, and also let me know um, your thoughts that we've been going on so far. And get ready and be looking out for season three in the trailer. It's going to be something that you're not going to want to miss. And I'm going to be very curious to see how this goes as we roll it out. So until next time, friends, may you remember that we are onto something.